This is a special video for my US friends. Thank you very much for watching my videos. I wanna wish you a fantastic 4th of July. I hope you have a fantastic holiday, fantastic weekend. This video is special because it's for US veterans who are transitioning from the military to cyber or to other fields in tech. I really wanna thank those of you who asked questions on Twitter. Big thanks to Neil and Josh for putting the content together. But without further ado, let's continue with the video. If you spent 20 years in the service, you have 20 years of experience. You have 20 years of leading people. You have 20 years of project management experience. You have 20 years of program management experience. You have 20 years of crisis management experience. You've probably been downrange a couple of times. So you've got 20 years of of, of, uh, of, of time under fire where you're, where you're having to make decisions while you're getting shot at. You may not have three to five years of experience in cyber, but whatever experience we can get you in cyber, that time that you do have in service is valuable to a company. And all that it's a matter of is finding the right way to sell that value of that experience to the right company. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with Neil Bridges. Neil, it's been way too long. God, where is the time gone? It's like it's like we 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 stop we stop recording one, and it's like oh my God, when was the last time I got a chance to record with David? Just so that everyone knows how this started, I got a message on Twitter, and let me share that. So Julius Caesar, that's quite a cool name. So yes. Julius Caesar reached out and he sent me a message, and he well it was actually to both of us, wasn't it, Neil? He yes. uh, he sent this message and says, you know, Neil, would you consider doing a video focused on U.S. veterans who are separating and pursuing a cybersecurity career, giving us tips and info on resources that you recommend we use? And based on that, I mean, we I basically said, Neil, are we up for it? And you said, obviously, yes. Um, and we got a bunch of questions. So I sent out a tweet asking people to, you know, ask questions. Julius Caesar <laughs> sent me a whole bunch of questions. Um, but Neil, before we get into that, I wanted to, you know, give you the floor and um, let you just talk about this, and then we'll come back to the questions. No, I, I appreciate this, and, and this was fantastic. I, I, I love, I loved how this went down. Um, I encourage anybody else who's got you know these types of ideas to to, to do this as well. And and, and David and I will volunteer David to 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 to, to help me with this. Sure. I, I'll absolutely do this any day of the week. This is this is a topic that that obviously is is very near and dear to my heart, right? I, I got out of the Air Force in in 2013. Um, I'd spent 10 years in the service. I was I was fortunate that I was part of the dot com boom in the 2000s before I went in the Air Force, and so I'd been exposed to a little bit of a little bit of that civilian life uh, before I went into the Air. Force. And so when I when it came to transition time, I had the privilege or misprivilege, depending on how you look at it, right, of being able to see what I knew about the corporate world from going into the military versus what they were teaching veterans in a program. David, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. You may not be, but there's a, a program that's pretty unanimous with, with U.S. veterans called TAP, Transition Assistance Program, which is specifically geared and designed. Let, let me just stop you right now, just so that yeah. everyone knows. I could never do this without Neil. So <laughs> I, I'm not based in the US. I've never been in the military. So like we've laughed in previous videos, Neil, I'm definitely not the right person to talk about this. And that's why I want you to talk about it. So yes, assume that I know nothing and talk to your, you know, talk to the military veterans because, um, you know, speak to them, don't speak to me because they're the people that, you know, need to get this information. This is this is why we make such a good team. I'm gonna high five you through the camera because this is why <laughs> we make such a good team. So anyway, the, the transition assistance program is, is put on by the Department of Defense to help military veterans or uh, allegedly to help military veterans transition from being inside the military to being back in the corporate world. And I have to say that I was incredibly disappointed at the resources that they had um, to try to help transitioning veteran across the board. And I understand that they've got a wide demographic of, of folks that they have to deal with, a lot of different career fields that, that are coming into the military and going back out in the civilian world. And so it's a it very much tries to be a catch-all net um, for how to to you know retransition into the, the civilian world that I think I don't think works very well. I don't think it works very well. And it definitely doesn't work in the cyberspace. And so I'm I'm very, very grateful to to be able to do this. I have um as as with any videos that we do, David, I definitely have my top list. Um, in this case, I have a top five set of resources. I'm going to talk generally first yeah. about um, uh, 
tips and tricks and things that I've seen over the years and, and things that I've learned along the way. And then I'll at the end, I'll give like the top five resources that, that I've got. Um, before I get too far into that, I do want to give a huge shout out to Josh Mason, who did help me kind of sit down and curate this list. Um, there's tons of resources out there. And Josh was critical in helping me make sure that that we got the right resources, you know, to, to, to come to bear for this. Just before we go any further, Neil, you've got a YouTube channel. You, I know you do these things live. So anyone who wants to like get real advice, you know, in a live session, please go and subscribe to Neil's YouTube channel, link below. Uh, Josh is on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll put his details below as well. I strongly suggest that you connect to both of them and others, you know, who uh, you guys can point to other people. Uh, I'm not the right person to, you know, ask these questions to. So, you know, connect with these guys. So, so first and foremost, I'll let, I want to talk really quickly about transitioning, right? The hardest part of transitioning in my mind is is less about getting the job and more about the mentality. And I think I've mentioned this on several streams that I've done in the past is, especially if you're transitioning out of the the service and you've been an officer or a non-commissioned officer or, you know, you know, somebody who's had a leadership position and that mentality shift that goes from, you know, you can give somebody an order and they are legally obligated to accomplish that order is different when you're on the outside. It's different to have a, a group of subordinates who work for you work with you is more the case on the outside world. And for you to say, hey, look, I need you to go do X. And they could turn around, they could tell you, uh, sorry, boss, I'm just not doing that. Yeah. And that really messes with a lot of people. I've seen that really mess with a lot of veterans because now they're they're in that, they're, they're stuck in that mental divide where it's like, I'm used to yelling at airmen or soldiers or something like that if they tell me no, that they're not going to do something. And you just can't do that in the civilian world. And so there's definitely a, a mental cultural shift that comes from realizing that you may be in charge of a team, but that team can tell you no any day of the week. And you have to learn to lead more through influence than I think you ever had to do when you were in the military. And I'll say this as well, just from a civilian point of view, in today's job markets, it's difficult to get good people. So if you treat someone incorrectly, they're probably going to leave because there's Absolutely. so many other opportunities. So it's it's even more so, isn't it? And and you will and you will take the brunt of that as the leader. You will yeah. get looked at as as you know, why can't you keep your people? And the answer isn't because they won't do what I tell them to do. That's why you're a leader is because you're being expected to be able to lead through influence versus lead through mandate or lead through orders. And I've seen I've seen numerous officers and numerous NCOs fail that test in transitioning out. The other thing that I'll say too, and this one is this one is is something I've I've dealt with a lot on my live streams. You're coming from an an MOS if you're in the Army, um, an AFSC if you're coming from the Air Force. This is basically like a job code as to what your job was when you were in the service. The military isn't very good about helping you translate the work that you did in the military to what the equivalent will be on the outside. It's harder for some job roles, like if you're an infantry person um, for the Marines or the, the Army, that's a, that's a hard one to do, to do a one-to-one -one transition for what the civilian equivalent was, but it's not impossible. But the other one is that there's, there's some weird job titles that we get in the military that you have to try a little bit harder to figure out how to trans translate those those job titles from what they were in the service to what they were on the outside. The transition assistance program is miserable at this. They fail miserably at helping you to be able to identify if you did this job in the military, here's what it translates to on the um, on the outside. And I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example of that. My title in the Air Force was Network Warfare Operator, right? So three words, Network Warfare Operator. Now, when you hear that, if you are if you study military, if you're used to military, that may sound really cool and you're like, Network Warfare, yeah, he was doing offensive hacking. It may seem very, very intuitive to people who are, who are used to listening to that type of terminology, but that doesn't exist. Network Warfare Operator does not exist in a civilian job resume. It does not exist in a civilian job application. There is no HR person that looks at network warfare operator and sees hacker on it. And so I had to know that I wanted to come out of the military and be a penetration tester. And so I had to, to change my civilian interpretation of network warfare operator to be penetration tester on my resume 
coming out. And just like that interpretation that you do with those job descriptions or those uh, those job titles, you also have to look at your roles and responsibilities and try to convert those roles and responsibilities that you had uh, inside the military to the applicable roles and responsibilities that that you're trying to apply to on the outside. I think that that's one of the, to me, that's the hardest part. When I mentor, you know, transitioning veterans, the hardest part is that translation service between what they did in the service and what they did out. And I want to give another example of that. There's oftentimes, um, you've got your job code like network warfare operator. But at one point in time, um, I was a cyber instructor, right? So I, my job code was still network warfare operator, which meant I was still an, uh, a hacker. But I was also, at the time, working for a squadron that was building training content for cyber warfare operations. And so I had to take that job responsibility and translate those job responsibilities into civilian responsibilities that showed that that was just another part of my overarching job as a hacker that made me qualified to be in that role. And so you have to look at project management. You have to look at flight commander. You have to look at instructor. Uh, ADPE, my military folks out there, ADPE, if you've ever worked an ADPE job, automated data processing equipment, the computers of a base, right? If you've ever worked that job before, that job still has qualifications that you can turn around and use on a resume. And I'll give you an example. I love this example because I actually helped an airman with this. They spent a year working at an ADPE warehouse. Basically, they received all the computer equipment for the base inventoried it, identified which squadrons they needed to go to, and then shipped that computer equipment back out to those individual squadrons. Do you realize that they were responsible, single-handedly responsible for the processing of over $50 million a year of computer assets exactly. for over 5,000 people at a base, 10,000 people at a base? When you start to think about the level of responsibilities that you're given in the military, yeah. You can you can put some of these job descriptions out that show the scope of what it is that you've got going on that make you very, very qualified to be to to be out in the civilian world. So I, I think those are those are the two biggest overarching problems that that I think people struggle with when they start to make that transition. I mean, like I'm the civilian in, in this conversation. If you told me that you had responsibility for fifty million dollars worth of equipment, suddenly I'm interested. But if you told me these, some of these other names that you used, it means nothing to me. I th and that's, that's something I, I regret to say it. And I can't speak for every transition assistance program office that, that is out there at every single solitary base. But the ones that I've talked to, the people that I've mentored, and the people that I've, I've spoken with who have transitioned out, the, the theme is very common. They do not have the ability at that, at that office to help you translate what you did inside to what you're looking to do outside. And I think this leads to one of the one of the third problems that I see with transitioning folks that I think are um, it's more psychological than it is career wise. Right. You've probably spent if you're listening to this video a good number of years in the service. Maybe you I mean, thank you for your service, whatever it was, whether it was one or 100. But there's a lot of folks that I talked to have spent 20 plus years in the service. A lot of them went into the service right when they turned 18. And so they graduated high school, went into the military, and learned and developed throughout their adult life how to follow orders, how to operate in a government structure, how to how to to you know be dependent, if you will, for certain types of things being given to you. Right, your healthcare insurance, your healthcare, for instance, right, uh, retirement to an extent. You know, even your housing is given as an additional allowance. And so there, there is a little bit of this dependency um, on that military apparatus that after spending 20 plus years in the military, you, you, become, you become pretty dependent, pretty codependent um, on that. And what that leads to is the transition assistance program telling you that your security clearance is the only way that you're ever going to make six figures. And, I can, and I'm here to unequivocally tell you that that is a lie. That is a lie that the transition assistance office tells you. That is a lie that your military commanders tell you. That's a lie that anybody in government tells you because they, they're either trying to scare you into staying in the government dependency you know, apparatus or they just don't know any better. And, and I think that, that that dependency creates almost a very toxic relationship where you're scared. And I actually have a, a good, good friend of mine. He spent 25 years in the Air Force. 
he has watched me since I left the Air Force. He was a really good friend of mine. He watched me since I left the Air Force, and he he has he has idolized my career. And for years, he's Neil. I want to be where you are, Neil. I want to be where you are, Neil. I want to be with you are. He's followed my footsteps, and he's tried to position himself so that when he left the military, he could follow in my footsteps. And then he got to that doorstep. He got to that doorstep and just realized just how scary it is for him to be on the outside. And instead, he went back to doing a government job, a wow. GS job, as soon as he retired. Because that dependency is very, very real on, in terms of, of how they make you feel like this is the only job that is good for you. And we're the only ones who will ever take care of you in this industry. And so I, I think hierarchically, those are the three pitfalls and those are the three traps that I see people fall into um, when it comes to transitioning out. Neil, before we get to the questions, anything else you want to say? I want to, you know, I want to leave open the floors, as I said, and, and give you the opportunity to, you know, just advise people because you've walked this road. Josh has walked this road, and you know lots of people who have walked this road. Um, I, I think those are the three things for now. I, like I said, I've got five resources that I want to get to at the end of this video, but I think we can probably knock through some of the questions that you've got um, and, and hit those questions, and then I can give the five resources. So this first question is, you know, if, if you um, – I'll, I'll just read it. For active duty military personnel who still have two plus more years on their contract, what do you recommend they do from now until they get – separated or to retire and it's something similarly was asked um what do you do like one to six months away so um like certifications yeah. and stuff so if you can just tackle both of those because they're kind of related yeah you know what do you no, do is, like sorry go on i'm glad you're thinking about this now right and whether it's one to six months or one to two years i think two years really is the right time to be thinking about how you're going to transition, right? If you know that you're going to get out in two years, making a plan ahead of time is, is definitely crucial. And I will say this because, again, the military didn't tell me this in 2013. It was, and obviously with the job that I had, you know, when I was in, it was obviously still very taboo to do this, but you should have a LinkedIn. I don't care what they have lied to you about with OPSEC. I don't care what they've lied to you about when they say that, no, you shouldn't tell people that you're in the military. You must have a LinkedIn. If you are two years out from separating and you do not have a LinkedIn, you are failing. You are failing, right? You have to have a LinkedIn. And I will tell you that the first thing that you should do is you should go back and watch my Thousand Connect Challenge video. You should watch the video that, that David and I put out two years ago that talked about building meaningful connections. And you should start your journey with, with building uh, a good, solid, robust network on LinkedIn. I can tell you that the, the OPSEC things that they'll tell you is that the Chinese are combing, or anybody else for that matter, is combing LinkedIn looking for you as a target. They already know, right? There's, there's nothing that you are going to protect from that is more important than your career, especially if you know that you're getting out in two years you have got to take care of your career because the military isn't doing that for you right now. And waiting until the day you transition out to then build a LinkedIn puts you two years behind. And so first thing out, you better be building a LinkedIn presence. And that LinkedIn presence needs to be an image of what you want companies to see you for when you're ready to get out. And I've got an entire video series that talks about branding and things like that that I would encourage you to watch. One of the questions that you had on there is, is in terms of skills and certifications. Some of the resources that I'm gonna provide later, they're, they've got um, fantastic um, uh, certification programs and things involved in that. You should focus on the certifications that that progress you in the direction of of the the, the skill set that you want to have. If you want to be on blue teaming, you need to be on blue team certs. If you're on red team, you need to be on red team certs. One of the advantages, and this will differ, David, from videos that you and I have done in the past, because we're talking to folks who, because they're in the military, they have tuition assistance programs. Yeah. They have certification reimbursement programs. In some cases, they have programs that pay for all of the education as a whole, regardless of where it exists. And so I'm going to say something that's vastly different than uh, than what I would normally say, because you know, folks who are, who are currently serving in the military, you have a financial advantage over the predominance of people that have listened to David and I talk over the years. And you need to be out there and you need to be taking some of these top tier certs. This is one of the first times and probably the only times, David, that you'll hear sands come out of my mouth, right? <laughs> right? You, you've always, you've yeah, got, that's, a, that's a first, yep. Go it on. is a first. It is a first because they've got somebody else paying for it. My thing yeah. has always been, you know, when somebody else is paying for your cert, go take sands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd get you a sand cert as quickly as possible. Right. And there's lots of ways that um, that, that you can go about justifying to your commanders that this isn't this is an, an OK expense for them to have. It, you know, and, and, and there's a lot, like I said, there's also a lot of programs out there that will help you cover down on this expense. And so, you know, 
money is no issue, you know, for most of you transitioning out. And so I would start with some of those top tier SAN certs. If you're looking to get into cybersecurity, I think my 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 statements that we've said in the past, David, are still relatively the same. You do need to have some hands-on um, experience. Now, if you're lucky enough to have a career field inside of the military that is cyber-esque, right? You can be client services, you can be IT administration, you can be traditional cyber if you are doing traditional cyber work inside the military, but you do need to have hands-on experience. And so I still find it valuable that you go out there to the, the programs like TriHackMe, like Hack the Box, like Range Force. None of these are paid sponsorships whatsoever. This is just Neil's personal opinion. Yep. You do need to go out there. You do need to, to, to put your hands on, on some of the technology, some of the TTPs that exist out there. And so I would still encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to also work through your squadron commanders to get that stuff um, you know, comped by those as well. I think generally speaking, that's that's probably the only difference that I would say for for you know a pathwise that's different. You have money that a lot of folks who hear David and I's videos don't. And so in the next two to three two years that you're looking to get out, the next one to six months that you're looking to get out, you need to be thinking about how you're um you know how you're spending that money. Uh, well what I will add one more thing. If you're one month away from separating, obviously you don't have a lot of time. That's why I say if you're two years out from separating and you know you're going to separate, you have a fantastic opportunity to build an actual plan of all the things that you can take in leading out, right? So you should be able to say, what job do I want when I get out? Red team, blue team, risk and governance, right? Whatever the case is, and then build an education plan that gets you to that. If you're one month out from separating, you're a little behind the curve. If you're, if, if you're talking like, Neil, I'm like one month out from separating, what do I do today? LinkedIn, definitely start building that LinkedIn profile, start getting some some hands-on experience, find somebody who can help you with your resume, and you know, let, let's start looking for for programs that are very, very friendly to, uh, to to veterans in terms of hiring. One of the questions was, you know, how do you determine salary ranges? Is that LinkedIn again? <laughs> you know, is it uh, the hard question? Salary is always hard, and and you know, it's it's hard even when I when I mentor folks who have not been in the military, but it's even harder with folks being in. And I'll get I'll give you a real world example. Yep. I have no problem sharing this. I I exited the military in 2013. In 2013. My tax return that I filed in the U.S. as an E-5 in the Air Force was $55,000 U.S. dollars. I'd been in the Air Force for 10 years. I'd been in IT five years prior to that, right? So I was 15 years, if you were to say, in the industry, and I was making $55,000 wow. on a tax return from the government. When I got that first job coming out of the military, I hustled and I scored my first pen testing job as a senior pen tester for a banking company, and I got in at 125. That's great. That's a great example. I like that. You know, and and that and listen, and this is back to the security clearance thing that I talked about. They didn't care that I had security clearance. They were fine letting my security clearance lapse. And this is what gets back to what I said before. Like that is the biggest lie that they will tell you in the military is you know your security clearance is your only way to six figures. And so you are worth way more on the outside than what the military will will lead you to believe when you're on the inside. And so yes, that salary negotiation part can be really, really, really challenging. There isn't an easy answer for it. That's why mentorship programs, um, finding you know folks like myself or, or others in the industry that, that we can help you with these negotiations. I wanna give a small plug to my Discord server. Perfect. We have tons of We have tons of people uh, in our Discord, who um, you know, constantly help people at all ranges of their journey. We have tons of veterans in our in our in our Discord server who are more than willing to help you, you know, through this process. And we've we've had very very candid conversations in our in our voice chat that we do on almost a nightly basis. We've had candid conversations before in the past where it's like, let's talk about how you negotiate salary. Let's talk about what the role is asking for versus what you think that you're you're worth type of thing. And so, it's a it's a it's more of an art when it comes to negotiating salary because there's a lot of psychology that's involved in negotiating salary. I don't want to say a number, and then if I say a number that's too high, then they'll immediately disqualify me. But then if I don't accept whatever offer that they have, then I may not get another job as another. It's, it's it's highly psychological, and so there isn't a a Twitter easy answer for how to answer the salary conversation. You really have to find 
you know, you know, a your own groove, but also be somebody who can help you navigate that psychological issue that comes with doing salary negotiations. And but your Discord is a place where they can go, yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. Not not just mine. There's others out there, but I will unequivocally. I can't speak for everybody else's Discord, but I will tell you my Discord. Absolutely, we have we have we have five thousand people all ready to help you at that conversation, you know, have been through it, you know, have helped other people been through it. And we'd love to help you through it as well. I want to talk about what you, what you're doing because you've got your discord, which you've mentioned now, but you also do live streaming on YouTube, um, and Twitch, maybe again, could you explain what you're doing? Because, you know, are we creating one video together and I'll put timestamps below so people can jump to specific parts, but they might have a lot more questions. So, you know, the video might be too long for them. They want to just go to you. Where can they go and what are you doing to help people, you know, on this journey? Yeah, thanks, thanks David. I appreciate that. And listen, if, if you're new to me, uh, my name is Neil Bridges. Hi. Um, you know, hopefully you enjoy a lot of the other videos on David's channel. David and I have been, been good friends for, God, going on two years now. Yeah. David and I, when we first met, we, we definitely had this idea that, that it's very, very important for, for old dogs like us to share our experiences with folks in the industry. Uh, two years ago, I started um, uh, Cyber Insecurity, which, um, as with most pieces of content, started out with me and my wife watching it. Um, but the goal was to to basically demystify cybersecurity, regardless of where you're at in your journey, whether you're entry level coming in or whether you're a CISO, right? There are mysteries abound when it comes to cybersecurity. Questions that we'll answer on this on this video together: certs, education, salary conversations, right? What? How do I get into this space? And there's CISOs who say, "Gosh, you know, I'm scared of the darknet. Can you please demystify the darknet for me?" Right, which we have done videos on in the past. And so our goal has always been to cut down the BS, do straight talk. You know, our motto is real conversations with real people, and we we do live streams where we talk about what really goes on in the cybersecurity industry in the most blunt, direct, straightforward way possible. And we bring in everybody from a SOC analyst up to CISOs, CSOs, CEOs, and everybody in between so that they can give you peaks and insights as to what happened, what's happening in the industry. Um, we also have a Discord. The Discord's, you know, it's it's modest. It's 5,000 members. But it's, it's 5,000 awesome people who are at some version of the journey that you're probably on yourself who are always there to help. We have a, a LinkedIn connection lounge that allows you to connect with, you know, when I talk about the 1,000 Connect Challenge, we have a connection lounge where you can actively engage with 5,000 people who want to be your friend and want to help you network in this industry. Um, we have a resource repository that talks about the free resources that David and I have mentioned for years, as well as some of the ones that I may not have mentioned that have flown above or under my radar that, that you can have access to. We have collaboration rooms. We have test. We have study group rooms where you can study together if you're studying for, um, for exams and things like that. Um, it's really a, a it's a community of folks who are here to help you regardless of where you're at in your cyber journey, just to help you get further than where you are today. Cause that's honestly, I, Dave, I think David, I speak for David when I say this, like we just want to see you move one step forward exactly. in your career than yep. where you're at today. We don't care where you're at. Yep. Right. We just want you to move one step forward and we want to give you whatever resources we can to make you move one step forward. And I'll just say this, I'm putting this right in the beginning of the video. So if you don't want to watch the whole video, that's fine because this is not about the video, this is about you. So please go and look at, you know, Neil's resources. I've put them all below his Discord. Go and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Neil, you do it very differently. You and I do like recorded videos, but your stuff's like live, isn't it? So people can Absolutely. like scream at you right there and then, yeah? <laughs> So, so, so the, the live format and, and, and David and I have joked about this in the past, right? I love the live format because yeah. it's, it's uncut and it's unfiltered. And this is what makes our guest appearances very, very unique. You know, I love doing the recorded stuff with you, David, but you have an opportunity to cut out, you know, certain sections and you can yeah. cut up the videos. We do, we highly encourage audience interaction. We get upwards of two to 300 questions per stream. And we have a team of moderators that curates those questions and we try to get them fired at our guest. Um, as much as possible during the stream, especially the controversial ones. And we put our guests on the spot. This gets back to our real conversations with real people. You've been on our lives before. You've seen how crazy some of yeah. those questions can get. Yeah. And you see that question up on the screen and you have to make a decision right there. How do you answer it? Do you answer it? What is it that you say? And you, you've got me right there kind of counter to you to try to pull what I what I think is the real answer or the controversial answer out of that question. And so it creates a, a very dynamic environment for our guests and, a, and an environment that that we've gotten some we've gotten some very, very real conversations from people about how this industry really is, which is which is why we've we've curated the 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 following that we have is because it's you know it's it's a no bullshit 
you know, take on cybersecurity. And veterans can go there. I mean, because you're a vet and there's a, Josh is a vet who we'll mention in this video um, and yeah. link below. There's a lot of veterans that are that part of that community, right? We have a ton of veterans part of this community. Um, one of my moderators is is former Navy, you know, and 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 he's uh, uh, he's fantastic when it comes to, to to helping folks out as well. We also we're also huge in terms of, of diversity and inclusion. My my wife is is one of the one of the lead moderators as well as one of the producers for the channel. She also leads the uh, the, the diversity and inclusion Discord channels that we have for for folks who are looking for you know diverse and inclusive. Um, uh, cybersecurity resources. And so we really try to really, really create a welcoming environment, whether you're, you know, regardless of where you're at. I really appreciate you, you know, sharing in this video, but, you know, taking it a step further as well. And, you know, I know live streams can be really difficult, but you do it really, really well. And I, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of those. And um, if anyone doesn't want to watch the whole video, that's fine. Again, please go and, you know, look at Neil's um, live streams. How often do you run your live streams now, Neil? Um, we, we run live streams three, three days a week. We run live streams three, three days a week. We have a, a, a myriad of streamers uh, in addition to myself. And so, you know, the best thing to do is to hop into the Discord and check the channel yeah. um, for the schedule. And that'll have our guest schedule. That'll have my schedule. That'll have all of our streamer schedules. So one of the questions um, was like, who to follow? Uh, we've got Josh, we've got you. Are there any other people that you would recommend that are friendly to vets, you know, who can help them on LinkedIn and other places? Like who to connect to is, is, is a common question, you know, uh, yeah. who, who do I, who do I talk to? There, there is no shortage of vets on LinkedIn that are willing to help, right? I'll give huge props to, to Steven Simmelroth. He does a ton of work with vets. Um, I can get you his LinkedIn as well. Um, Jack Scott's a good friend of mine. She does a ton of work with vets. Um, I would focus, you know, there's obviously a ton of people out there to follow, but I would also focus on the organization. There are probably better organizations to follow you know, that would then help you kind of expand out your network from there. Things like VetSec, which I'll talk about here in a little bit, um, and, and some other programs um, that I think you'll start to to see in conversations are people who are actively trying to help veterans. But there is actually, it may seem difficult, and that's probably because you haven't seen the right circles yet, but there are no shortage of vets looking to help other vets and vets, vets building programs. That's one of the things I love about the veterans community is that we're always out there trying to help people. You know, we've walked, to your point, David, we've walked those shoes. Yep. Um, but I would say if you started with those four, um, that's a great place to start. So I'll say this, if you've got any others that you want to mention, Neil, and I'll, again, this is not sponsored by anyone. This is just Neil and I trying to help people. Uh, we'll put the links below. So anything Absolutely. you want to give me or Josh wants to give me, um, I'll, I'll link all of those below so people can, can, can connect. That's great. Because one of the questions was, which I don't have here is, um, do I really need to use LinkedIn even though I hate it? And I think you've kind of answered that. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll reemphasize what you and I've said in videos time and time again. And, and like I said, I've got, I've got LinkedIn branding videos that I've done on my channel, channel yeah. right? Is, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a stat like 87% of the jobs that have been filled by recruiters have been filled from candidates that they found on LinkedIn. And so what I tell people is that if you hate LinkedIn and you decide that out of principle because you hate LinkedIn, you're not going to do it or you hate social media, so you're not going to do it, you're literally ostracizing 87% of the recruiters, 87% of the potential recruiting power that exists out there. And so if that's a decision you want to make, then you know I think that, that that's, a, that's a decision you can make, but you have to openly acknowledge that if you can't find a job, you have cut out one of the largest job attraction marketplaces that exist out there by saying you're not going to be on LinkedIn. And so what I'll say to people is, you know, LinkedIn in cyber, in IT, in general, is a necessary evil when it comes to building a solid career network and looking for a job. And so what I would do is I would treat it as, you know, probably one of the few social media places where you control the message, you put up there what it is that you want people to know about you, you interact with it as a as a means to an end, right? Which is a means to an end to get you the job that you're trying to get. Um, I can tell you that the last uh, last five jobs that I've had since being out of the Air Force have all come from LinkedIn. I haven't applied for a single job. Um, I mean, I've applied for jobs and gotten turned down. I, I did a stream on this where I talked about the jobs that I've applied for and got turned down for applying. But every other job that I've gotten has been through a, a connection on LinkedIn or, or, or a friend of a friend, you know, type of thing. There's another statistic that I that I frequently throw around that I had a, I had a recruiter on my stream one time who said that um, of all the the companies that exist out there that that are hiring, only three percent of the people who were hired 
were hired from submitting an application to that job. It's amazing. And so it just sh it just shows you like it's it, you're if you choose to be well, I'm just going to write a resume and I'm just going to blindly submit to these job openings time and time again. You have a three percent chance. You have a three percent chance of getting the job you want. I was just going to say in 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 tech, whichever sort of niche you're in in cyber, it's a small community. People get to know one another, so you might as well connect to people that you you know in this community. Yeah, and sorry, connect I interrupted in you. Go on. No, no, say connect people in the community. Listen, you have unique you have unique experiences. We can talk we can talk ad nauseum about LinkedIn, and I know that you and I have done this before in the past. You have unique experiences in the military. David and I hear when we hear unique experiences, we hear content, right? Yep. Yep. Whether that's written content, whether it's video content, whether it's audio content, it doesn't matter. It's content. That content, you need to start looking at that content that you have, those unique experiences as precursors to somebody who's either potentially interviewing you you applying for a job, something like that. I mean, that that content is is golden. And I, I like to tell this story about when I was a, an instructor for SANS. Um, so I taught for SANS for, 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 for five years. Oh, we showed this book. <laughs> we did it last time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. If anyone wants an example book. of like content, content, and yeah. content, there you go. Yeah. Someone who's made a whole business out of it. Yeah. So so when I was when I was teaching for SANS, Obviously, my first year of teaching for SANS, I was coming out of being in a highly classified, highly sensitive environment doing cyber warfare operations. I couldn't tell the exact stories that I had to tell because they were classified stories. And so I had to find different stories to tell to get to my students to get the point across when I was teaching for SANS. They were still stories based off my real life experiences, but I had to get really, really creative with how I told those stories without breaking my NDAs and things like that. Those stories became resume and interview topics for me when I went to job interviews. And you've got to try to figure out the same way and you've got to leverage LinkedIn for them. We always get this question, how do you get experience without yeah. experience? And yeah. I mean, you've given lots of good advice in the past. Um, how do you get experience? Experience is literally the number one question, David, I'm sure you get it too, that I get yeah. that I get asked, right? And and I want I want to make something perfectly clear, right? You can't stop a hiring manager from putting on a job posting that they require three to five years of experience. What you can do is you can challenge their perception of reality and you can apply anyway. And I and I think that that's that's a very, very key point because I see too many vets in particular, since we're talking about vets, who say, well, I don't have three to five years of experience in cyber, and so therefore I'm just not going to apply to the job. And and you and I are huge Gary Vee fans, right? Yep. You know, I'm sure Gary Vee didn't say this, but I'm sure he said it at some point in time, right? Was you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You have to take the shot, right? If it says three to five years experience, take the shot, right? Because if you spent 20 years in the Air Force or one of the other branches, say that for, for, for my other branch friends out there, right? if you spent 20 years in the service, you have 20 years of experience. You have 20 years of leading people. You have 20 years of project management experience. You have 20 years of program management experience. You have 20 years of crisis management experience. You've probably been downrange a couple of times. So you've got 20 years of of, of, uh, of, of time under fire where you're, where you're having to make decisions while you're getting shot at. You may not have three to five years of experience in cyber, but whatever experience we can get you in cyber whether that's through some of the things that David and I have talked about in the past or, or some other way, that time that you do have in service is valuable to a company. And all that it's a matter of is finding the right way to sell that value of that experience to the right company. And so my, my first key takeaway on experience is do not mentally limit yourself to thinking that just because it says three to five years of experience in cyber that you should not apply. You have spent some number of years sacrificing for this country. You have skills and experience that can be valuable. Now, with that being said, yes, you should have some experience. But again, I go back to a, a tried and true testament that I, I, I stand by wholeheartedly. It's been proven time and time again in my in, in my cyber and security community. We've seen it happen with people who don't have military experience. You can create experiences based on some of the resources that exist out there. You can showcase those experiences in a way that while they not may not be what you're thinking about from a traditional work experience, they do show that you have experience. And those things are, go get your hands on the training platforms that allow you to practice with your hands on the skills in the respective field that you're trying to go after. If it's red team, 
make sure you're hitting up, try hack me, hack the box, things like that. If it's blue team, make sure you're looking at things like security blue team, uh, blue team labs online, cyberdefenders.org, right? Those, those companies, those organizations, and again, these are not sponsored. This is just a you know personal opinion. We've seen in my community alone, people get jobs who don't have military experience. Literally, there's a story up on my Twitter of a, of a guy who went from being a banker at a at one of the big 10 banks, zero cyber experience, zero certifications, did try hack me's, hack the boxes, did CTFs, did write-ups, and is now working at a big four as a threat hunter and a pen tester. And so this is why I continue to harp on is that the, the stories are out there. The proof is in the pudding that you have a leg up on most of these folks in the fact that you've got 20 years, you've got some odd number of years serving our country. And then you add in on top of that the advice that David and I have been giving to you and shouting from the top of the mountain for the last two years. That is how you get get experience. If you're two years out from um, um, from you know from separating, um, look to see if there's additional duties inside of your squadron that you can do. Go talk to your ISSO, right? Go talk to your 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 information security officer and see if there's an additional duty that you can have with your information security officer that helps you put something on your resume that you've done information security type of work. You know, if you're if you're two years out, um, if you've got one more uh, uh, PCS, if you've got one more duty station change in you, see if you can duty station change to somebody who does a cyber mission, even if it's in a remote location, even if it's a one-year remote tour, right? See if you can go do a one-year remote in Korea working for the comm squadron in the cyber unit. There are, there are ways that you can look internally to try to get those those small hands-on bits and pieces of experience that you need that you can that, that you can get. But I, I definitely think that there's experience will always be the conversation that we have, David, no matter who we talk to in this. Yep. I think military folks have a leg up in terms of the 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 experience that they've got from serving our country. And and I think that they have an opportunity to get even more experience when they look internally or when they start to take some of the advice that we've had over the years. Yeah, I mean, what about bug bounty? Because that's another one we've that some people recommend, but it's hard. So, so bug bounty is weird for the military, right? Because you may have to disclose that as a job, you know, and and that that's where that's where that becomes a little weird. Yeah. Um, I would say you know mileage may vary on on you know I I definitely would not say don't try it. You you've heard David and I talk about bug bounties in the past, and bug bounty is definitely something that I highly encourage folks to participate in. I didn't bring it up in this conversation because I'm not certain how certain squadrons look at that from outside employment. Yeah. I know I've tried to hire some military folks to even do something like content writing for a blog, and their squadron um, their squadron PR team turned them down uh, as an outside employment option because they didn't want to they didn't want them writing content for a publication. But I right? like what you said. You know, there's so many opportunities. In, in such a big organization, they yeah. could, like, like you said, perhaps go and work remotely. Sorry, uh, go on, Neil. No, 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 that's it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's cyber in almost every organization, right? Or, yeah. you know, and, and again, from, from when I was there, almost every squadron had an ISSO, somebody who handled the information security of that squadron, especially if you're working in a classified environment. To you, that may just look like you veteran, that may just look like they're boring and they're handling cryptography and they're just handling the keys to um, all the classified stuff. But on a resume, that is an information <laughs> security job. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so you you have to start thinking about things in terms of you know, if you want that experience, go do an information security job, okay? Go ask your ISSO if there's an additional duty that you can be part of so that you can get that experience. That's great advice. I mean, Neil, do you want to talk about your top five things or are we still coming to I that? do. I do. I do. I do. I have a, I have a top five. I have a, I have a top five list. David I'll, knows I'll just me say I, this. I mean, I'll, I'll just mention this. There were quite a few questions saying there's a lot of resources out there, but some of it's BS. Um, some of it's absolute nonsense. Um, give us, you know, where where we sh where should we go with, with the right. questions? I want to I want to piggyback on that before I give the top five resources. Go for it. And, and I want to I want to I want to make this as as triggering as possible for for some people who are going to listen to this. There's a lot of money to be made in education. People know this. Big companies know this. Like Sands knows this. Offsec knows this. Right? Companies know this. Right? There's a lot of money to be made in education. That's why people do it. That's also why people do boot camps. That's why there people offer boot camps out there. There's a lot of money to be made in boot camps. And I don't care what they say, there is no guarantee that they can get you a job. And this is why I'm also very, very, very bearish. I, I'm very, very cynical when it comes to comes to boot camps. I, I would venture to say in, a, in the most triggering fashion that I've got, almost every boot camp that exists out there is a scam. 
They're just trying to take your money and they will just turn around. They'll tell you, go take CEH, go take SEC plus, go take network plus, And then we'll do our best to help you get a job afterwards. And they're going to charge you a 50% markup on all of those certifications. So apply a skeptical lens to every single one of those out there. The top five lists that I have the majority of them are nonprofits. When I say the majority, um, three of the five, I think, are registered 501 nonprofits in the U.S. The other two, I could not find public information to indicate that they were nonprofits, but they came very, very highly recommended. But And so most of these, again, this is not paid placement. These these folks did not pay to be here. This is a consolidated list between Josh and myself, ranked that we think is is best for veterans, transitioning veterans, and things like that, right? So so first and foremost, first and foremost, and, and David, I'll make sure you have every single one of these links, is Onward to Opportunity, or O2O. And so their mission statement is they help active duty, selected reserve veterans and military spouses learn business, technology, and customer service skills to accomplish their personal and professional goals after military service. The program is free, which you know is like Neil's number one rule, right? Do all the free stuff first, right? And it combines industry-validated courses, partnerships, and career coaching to help match you as best possible with civilian jobs, right? Um, It is provided by Syracuse University, but it is a completely free program to veterans. So first and foremost, my number one on that list, right? Rank number one is definitely Onward to Opportunity. The second resource on my list, which is very, very close second, um, is an organization called VetSec. And I'm sure a lot of folks may have heard about VetSec. VetSec's a a pretty well-known organization out there. But if you haven't, VetSec is also a very good organization. And they are really, they are one of the 501 um, uh, nonprofits that exist out there. So they they are truly a nonprofit. Um, And their mission is really, uh, you know, helping to create a world where no no veteran that's pursuing a career in cybersecurity goes unemployed. And I don't know how much more of a mission that you can, you can have other than that. They've got a fantastic Discord of about 4,000 members. Um, They've got tons of resources on their page to help you when it comes to training. Um, Oftentimes, you'll see things um, where they they do sponsored, not sponsored events, but they they do events where they're giving away free training for a lot of folks. A lot of the, uh, the training vendors do partner with them. Um, specifically, um, you know, they've, they've got, you know, resume support services, immersive labs, um, has a partnership with them. CompTIA provides, um, you know, certain types of training with them. Fortinet does, um, there's tons of organizations that specifically work with VetSec to provide training, uh, in the cybersecurity space for, uh, for, for veterans and for, for exiting, for transitioning individuals. So that's number two. Number three is another organization that does a lot of work and it's called with, it's called with you, with me. They have, uh, you know, an entire program that's set to help you look for jobs, especially jobs with, with companies that are partnering with, with you, with me to help you, uh, you know, find companies that are, that are very, very veteran friendly. They have training uh, uh, programs to help you get trained up in cybersecurity and then other ways to help you grow and progress through your career as you transition out and continue to grow through your career as well. A lot of, a lot of folks that I've talked to have had a lot of really good success going through a with you, with me kind of transition program and then, uh, then landing a placement at a job. And so they've, they've had a lot of really good, you know, you know, you know, success in terms of transitioning folks as well. And then the last one, um, or excuse me, not the last one, the next to the last one, while not necessarily directly cyber specific, um, there is oftentimes, David, I'm sure you get this on your channel. I know I get it on a lot of mine is how much coding or how much programming experience do I yep. need to be in the cybersecurity space? There is an organization out there called Operation Code. They rank number four on my list. They are a nonprofit charity as well, where they're helping military communities learn software development and then enter the tech industry and be able to code for folks on the outside. And if you're in cyber coding is obviously, um, you know, very, very helpful. If you're in IT and just generally interested in, um, in, in software development, software tech, obviously um, software industry, um, programming, DevOps, and things like that is a huge boom inside of our space. And there's tons of great jobs uh, and a lot of uh, uh, job openings for that industry. And so ranking in number four is, is Operation Code. And then last but not least, number five on the list is, is Boots to Books. And they are providing the most comprehensive, innovative assistance to veterans, transitioning military and their families for competitive education and employment opportunities. And so they're a collection of veterans, professionals, and companies that are all there really trying to bring resources together. Um, they've, got, they've got programs, they've got learning resources, they've got materials, um, all things to kind of help you get the education that you need for you to transition out. And so those are my top five resources. Um, again, I wanna thank Josh Mason for helping me curate this list. To kind of go through them again, it's, it's Onward to Opportunity, VetSec, 
with you with me, Operation Code, and Boots to Books. And that, that's free resources, is that right? Free resources, free yeah. resources. Start with the free, as you always say. I love my, my, my short continues to get the most views out there. It's like, it's, it's do the free stuff first. Like there's, there's yep. so much, you know, the veterans, as I mentioned, there's tons of programs that are out there wanting to help you. There's so much free that's out there. You should not pay a dime. I saw somebody tweeted this comment at, at me and you when we were, um, uh, when we were chatting about this, that talked about using all your benefits, specifically speaking about the Montgomery GI Bill. I think that that's fair. I think you should do that. I'm. I think you should absolutely, you know, use all your benefits um, before you get out. I think that that you know, taking trying to get your degree, you know, should be on your roadmap depending on where you're at in that one to five year um, time period. But do the free stuff first. And I would look at if the military is paying for it, it's essentially free. So take it, do it, use your benefits. It's free. It was great advice. I, I loved what you said about using getting sand certs because people. I mean, think about someone like me. If I wanted to pay for that myself, that's insane amount of money. It's $8,500 plus whatever it costs you to travel to the event to go take it in person. Let's get back to top certs then. So if if, you, if someone's in the military, the, the military is going to pay for this. Yeah. It, are there any specific sand certs or does it really depend? Are there any other certs that you that you would recommend? So 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and the caveat is going to be if you've got somebody else, i.e. the military, your GI Bill, tuition assistance, whatever the case is, in, in the government helping you pay for this, money being no object, if you're on the red team side, you want to do a pen testing cert, GXPN, that's what you should be striving for. Like that's going to be your OSCP plus equivalent is GXPN. I would put GXPN over OSCP. I, I think GXPN is is freaking amazing. Um, I took uh, one. I think I think I took the second version of that uh, exam, and it was it was mind blowing compared to what OSCP has. So GXPN, if if somebody else is paying for it, take GXPN. I think GCIH. I taught GCIH. That was a primary course that I taught while I was there. I think when you you talk about a fundamental baseline sock analyst or even entry-level pen tester type of role, right? GCIH is awesome. It is a, it is an awesome cert to have. I think um, if you're on the blue side, the guys who do the differ courses, the digital forensics and instant response courses for SANS, Rob Lee, um, Alyssa, uh, Sarah Miller, all of those folks who do the different courses over on that side are phenomenal. They are so awesome. And so if you're talking about um, GCFA, if you're talking about any of the Mac forensics stuff, GCIH again is is offered in over on that side as well. Um, I think those certs are 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 freaking or uh, Grim uh, reverse engineering malware is also a fantastic search. So I'd, so I'd say blue side GCFA, Grim, you know, and GCIH would be what I'd recommend over on the uh, on the blue team side. So I, I think uh, definitely the, the sand certs, those would be the top three on both the red and the blue side that I'd say focus on. If you're on the GRC or if you're on the project management side, they have a they have a CISSP prep course. I think it's called like, David, you're gonna have to look this one up. It's, yeah, we'll put it, it's we'll put it below, it's fine. Put that, yeah. But they have, a, they, have a, they have a CISSP prep course, which is really, really good as well. They have GSEC, which is kind of like your SEC plus equivalent that, that I would highly recommend as well. I took that one under under Dr. Eric Cole and he was fantastic to, to take that one uh, under when I took that one. They also just have an, an auditor course. They have a uh, SANS auditor course, which if you've heard me talk about before, where you could talk about doing like an, an IT auditor or some other type of auditor role as a transition step to get into cyber, then you can take the SANS auditor course and use that as a stepping stone to get into cyber as well. So lots of options there, um, you know, when you look at the SANS catalog, when somebody else is paying for it. I love that. I mean, you, you've always said that. I mean, the reason we often recommend like Security Plus and certs like that is because you're paying for it yourself. Yeah. But if someone else is paying, then why not go for the top stuff? Absolutely. Any, any other industry stuff apart from SANS? I, I can't stress enough the amount of resources that that you can you can get hands-on experience, right? I will always be an advocate of the hands-on stuff. And so, yeah. you know, I'll say it again, right? Try hack me, hack the box on the blue team side, security blue team, right? Blue team labs online, cyberdefenders.org, right? I, I'd say, you know, range force, good, good mix of blue and red, right? And you know those five companies; those guys, those guys are kicking tail when it comes to build to build high quality labs. Some of them, some of them have free tiers where you can experience some of the content for free. You know, other content is paid for. But you know, I would I would venture to say that that on a one of the things I'm always a, a huge proponent of, right, is cost of value. I think on a cost of value perspective, the cost that you pay for those organizations is minimal compared to the value that you get out the other side. 
I, I mean, I love it, Neil, in, from the fact that if, if um, you've always emphasized doing the free stuff and you've done that here as well, but if, 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 if the government's paying for this, then let them pay and use let that. Them pay. Use that for your advantage. Um, it, you've given so much to the country you're serving, then let them pay. Absolutely. Um, I, I think if you're if you're if you're eyeballing a degree program, I want to talk about degrees. I'm glad really you did that. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah, about degrees. I, yeah. Um, I want to I want to I want to reemphasize what I talk about when I talk about degrees. And and again, I'm very transparent about this, right? In the sense that the only reason I got my degrees was because the military forced me to, and I have two associate's degrees um, from the Air Force. You know, basically because I I showed up and I took a couple of uh, CLEP exams, which is basically like testing out of a couple of things, and the military threw some degrees at me. I failed college miserably every single time I tried to take it. Right? I was not a good college student. And so, so I look at I'm, where you now, Neil. That's what that's yeah. what I always think. You know, your stories is that's what I love about your story. And sorry to you know go on a tangent, but it's um, stories like yours are the ones that I love the most because if you were a genius at school, so what if you got a degree? But because you struggled, look at where you are now. So yeah, sorry, carry on. No, 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 it's okay. It's it, I, I say that really to say like. Like I, I want you to understand that when I talk about a degree, I talk about a degree from a position of somebody who who has failed miserably in that endeavor. And so if you if you have the capability to go to school, if you have the capability, as the tweet mentioned before, to clep out of classes, if you've got enough time in your service to to put some effort into a college program to go pursue a college program, I highly encourage you to do it. Again, the government is paying for it. You should take advantage of the government paying for it. But what I would advise you against. If I were to go back to school, I would not go back for a cybersecurity degree. What I think we fail at as an industry, and I say this when I put on my industry hat, we don't have enough business people who can talk business in the cybersecurity space, in the boardroom, right, to to senior cybersecurity leaders. I would encourage you to focus in on not the cybersecurity degrees, but the business degrees, because it's the business leaders, whether you like it or not, it's the business leaders that run companies. And even to an extent, it's the business leaders or the people who can at least talk business leadership to senior leadership that run cybersecurity organizations. And so if your trajectory has you in an aspirational goal, you know, of a CISO or a CIO or a CTO or, you know, insert C here, you're going to find way more value in that business degree than you will in that cybersecurity degree. I think you've said it so many times before, you know, red teaming is cool and sexy, but from a job point of view, it's it's tiny, yeah? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, and it, you know, if I, if I were to have a regret about college and if I were to go back to pursue a degree ever in my life, it would be in, in business or criminal justice because just because I think like the criminal justice part of, of cyber is pretty cool. But um, yeah, it'd be business primarily. So some of the questions we've had is, is it different for um, officers versus enlisted people? Or is, it, is, the, is the advice kind of the same? Um, I think the advice is is generally the same. Um, officers officers typically already have a college degree when they go into the service. And so that college degree conversation is probably a different one. If you're an officer coming out, you can probably start to look at your master's degree. Um, if you if you wanted to spend that that GI Bill on a, on a degree program, then obviously, you know, this is where picking that master's and maybe business administration or, you know, or, or something else like that would be, be super helpful. Um, so the, the officers end up getting sometimes, oftentimes a, a step up from the enlisted because they've already got a college degree. But I think everything else is is pretty um, is pretty much on point. I think the only other thing that I would say is that officers don't get as much hands-on experience while they're in the service um, versus enlisted. Um, I, I like to tell this story, right? So I was um, we were at the I was I was at the schoolhouse. We were building the the first cyber warfare operations training unit, and um, we had this uh, uh, second lieutenant. It was like the the lowest, most junior rank of an officer. Now I was I had been in for eight years at this point in time. This kid had literally just come out of the academy. He he may have he may have he may have still been just barely able to shave, and he outranked me. <laughs> <laughs> just because of the way the officer tiers work, right? But I have to say, like, I he came to the schoolhouse and he was brilliant. I've never seen anybody be able to write exploit code to a, to a level that I've I've been experienced myself. The way that I've seen this dude be able to, to write exploit code, the way that this dude could look at programs and systems and you know find zero days and find vulnerabilities um, impressed me. He but he was a lieutenant. He was an officer. He was the very most junior ranked officer. He graduated our schoolhouse with some of the best scores that I'd ever put on anybody's record when it came to offensive security. 
You know what his next duty assignment was after he left that schoolhouse? What? He was an admin for a colonel in some squadron somewhere. Oh, wow. They took that brain power and they didn't put him on a keyboard. They didn't put him to, you know, being on the front lines of serving our nation. They made him an admin to somebody with, you know, a bunch of decorations on their collar. And so officers get it get the short end of the stick when it comes to hands-on experience. And so while you may have the leg up on the uh, uh, on the, uh, the 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 degree side, you need to try harder on the um, hands-on side and and get your really get your hands dirty in terms of the technology. If you if you have the intention of being hands-on keyboard when you get out of the service, Neil, as always, I really want to thank you. You know for sharing you. We, we're not getting sponsored for this. This is just you no. giving back to the community. I really appreciate you, you know, putting yourself out there because, I mean, you've had flack in the past, but I know you do this with the right motive. You're doing this to help people and that's why you're always welcome here. So thanks so much for sharing. Anytime, David. And listen, you, you've you always been a great friend. I love doing these videos with you. Hopefully we get to do a, a, a lot more, but um, I, I always appreciate you having me on. Listen, if um, I highly encourage you to come check us out on Discord. We're a good friendly bunch of folks. Um, you know, we've got a lot of resources. Please come check me out on my, my YouTube channel, uh, Cyber Insecurity. We do a ton of content. We just closed out 13 weeks weeks of Python where you can get, again, for free, you can get a 13-week Python course that was uh, developed by a college professor um, in a nice structured fashion with labs and a GitHub repository. Those are the types of resources that we we put out there. I still answer all my DMs, um, although I admit that that, that they, it's gotten slower since, since I've been doing a lot of work with David, but I still answer all my DMs. I'm always out there. I'm always available. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And, and my, my saying is always the same, right? Is whether you're on the red side or whether you're on the blue side, whether you're still deciding, keep learning and we'll be there with you along your journey. Neil, thanks so much. Thank you.